Hi, this is Chip Lococo. Welcome back to my podcast channel. Today, I'm thrilled to have Bob Neufeld. Bob is a narrator for audiobooks. Um, Bob was the narrator for all of my novels. Um, just recently, Cecilia and Melody, which is book three of my Bella Fortuna series, was just released on audiobook. You'll be able to find it at Amazon and also over at Audible. So everyone, I'd like you to meet Mr. Bob Neufeld. Bob? Hello. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I have to say, I hear that voice and immediately I'm drawn to every single character in every one of my books. That's all, <laughs> I'm, gonna, that's all I'm going to say. Well, it doesn't get any better than that for me. Thank you. Bob, before we get into your process and exactly what a narrator for an audiobook does, let me just ask you a few general questions. That is, where do you hail from? I live in Wichita, Kansas. Now, I grew up here. I lived in New York City for 30 years, a couple of years in L.A., and then I made my way back here uh, because I can afford to live here. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to new york <laughs> absolutely absolutely so how did you get into audiobooks well my creative stuff goes way back and i was a singer and sang in church and went to school here for opera and voice and did a lot of theater i thought then i'll go to new york and conquer the world and that goes the way it goes for most people to try to do that I ended up in business and uh, doing HR for 30 years or so in a couple of industries. Came back home, but along the way, my niece and nephew, who were almost or preschool at that time, I found a, a Grimm's, an illustrated Grimm's fairy tale book, and I recorded it for them. And so they'd have the book and the recording as they were learning to read. Jump ahead a couple of decades, my niece came to me and said, I still have that book but I don't have the tape to play for my kids. Could you do it again? So I did it again and enjoyed it. And I was getting closer to retirement uh, from business. And I said, you know what? I, I enjoyed that. It came out pretty well. Let me see what I can do uh, on a more structured basis. And I looked around and I found a website called LibriVox.org, which is whose mission it is to record, to put it to audio, every public domain thing ever written, similar to Gutenberg on the ebook side. Thank and you. they take all comers, you can record whatever you want. Um, so I just plunged in and didn't have really good gear. My space wasn't all that good, but I could record Emerson and Dickens and Plato and a whole bunch of people. And gradually I got better at it. And one day I said, you know what? You know, maybe I can make, you know, a couple of pesos at this. So I went to a site called ACX, which you and I both know well by this time, which is a subsidiary of Audible, which is owned by um, Amazon. And I put in my profile, I put in my samples, and that day, or the next day, I don't recall now, I got an offer for Tempestus Dream from you. It was the first offer I got from any author to get paid for narrating a book. So you are the guilty party from whatever happened from well, then on. Tempestus Dream is was my first novel about an opera singer who grows up in Milan, a young opera singer who's trying to pursue a dream to become an opera singer. And I remember um, audiobooks was kind of, sort of, I'd say, in its infancy, but it, it was definitely becoming very popular, unopposed to that now where it's, it's exploded, correct? But back then it was kind of in its infancy, but it was definitely becoming very popular. 
and I knew nothing about it. And I knew I wanted to turn my book into an audio book. And I remember I went to ACX and they would list all the different producers who you could find and, and make offers to and see if they would accept to do your book. And if I remember correctly, yours, your, your little profile mentioned opera, Italian, uh, opera, Italian. And one of your sample books was a, of all things, a study in Scarlet, I believe by with Sherlock Holmes. Right. And I listened to it and I said, that's the man I want. And I sent you the offer. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm forever in your debt. I mean, that's, you got me launched and I am forever grateful to you for that. And because of that, of course, then the next, the, then came a song for Bella Fortuna, Saving the Music and Sicilian Melody, all part of the Bella Fortuna series. And you were the voice on all three of those. And I will say that every review I've ever gotten for every audiobook always comments not only on your voice, which is phenomenal, but just also on the characterizations that you give to each character. And we're going to get into that a little bit during this conversation. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So I want to ask you first off, so what is the process? I'm going to ask you this question, but I think I know the answer. As a fact, I know the answer, but this is the <laughs> question most people ask me. When you get a project, do you read the novel? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I'm even a little surprised when people ask me that. I just, you wouldn't, and when you think about it, you wouldn't expect people to know that. But exactly. there, particularly when fiction uh, all genres, but particularly in fiction, you do not. There are myriad stories of people, narrators, who made this mistake. You get to the last chapter, and you find out that one of the key characters has an Irish accent. <laughs> and for some reason, it wasn't mentioned earlier on because it wasn't germane. And now you either have to just live with that or go back and reread it. The most famous story, and it may be apocryphal, I've never heard who the actual uh, narrator was, but it sounds plausible is somebody reading a, a book that's a fiction book that's based in New York City. And a lot of people have been to New York City. A lot of people live there, as I did. People are tourists. They go to Greenwich Village. They go to Soho. The street that separates Soho from Greenwich Village is not Houston, which is how it's spelled, right. but Houston. And this person said Houston and caught an enormous amount of grief as he or she should have. <laughs> we we have a town we have a town up the road here. Uh, it just shows the the research you got to do, which is where we're going with this. I think there's a town, a small town, thirty five miles northeast of here, which should be pronounced El Dorado. It's pronounced El Dorado. Well, and talking... our main our main river here is the Arkansas River, not the Arkansas River. Well, you're talking to someone from New Orleans. So when you do my next story from New Orleans, the street names here like Chapatulas and Calliope, you know, you're gonna have a you're gonna have to do your research. Where, sure you my that. research will be you. You know, I'll be on the phone to you the first day. So you read the story. <laughs> While you're reading the story, are you thinking of characterizations and voices for the different characters? Oh, absolutely. It just, just starts to form. As you see some description of the person, tall, short, you know, dark beard, blonde hair, uh, deep voice. Uh, in uh, Sicilian Melody, there's a bunch of what I've made into deep voices. <laughs> Hope they're differentiated. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, as, as, a, as the novelist gives you information about them, about the characters, then your your it's kind of amorphous thing in the beginning starts to take shape, and by the end, you have it pretty much figured out. 
So Sicilian um, Melody is about the return of the mafia after World War II in Sicily. And what I thought about your your the, the your descriptions or your voice characterizations, the the let's call them the evil mafia people, right? The, mm-hmm. That deep tone that you gave to some of them was just I thought spot on. You know, good, good. I was hoping you'd say you'd think that. Um, it's um. And the thing about voices is getting distinct. There are two schools of thought out there, narrators. There are some that go the complete way and make a completely different voice for every character, and some of them are amazing at it. You really think there are multiple narrators. Others, just as successful, just make enough difference so that you know who's speaking. You can do it either way. I'm somewhere in the middle, depending on on the material. So after you read the novel um, and you make your notes and in, in your mind you have kind of how you're going to proceed, then you go into the recording booth and you begin, correct? Yes. Do you do you normally do a chapter at a time? Uh, it depends on you know the length of things. Your chapters compared to some nonfiction I've read, where chapters can be an hour long, right? <laughs> are are pretty short. So I normally think about a period of time. So I tend to go into the, to the booth for about 30 minutes at a time, take a five or 10 minute break, go back in, do another 30 minutes, stop at some logical point, uh, and then build it up over, over the course of the recordings. Got you. And I know basically the audio book for like my, I think my novels, 394 pages is going to run us somewhere around nine hours of recording time. Is that correct? Yeah, it's um, a little over nine. It's closer to 10, I think now that it's finished. Yeah. You, the, the number that the industry tends to use for to help predict that is 9,500 words per hour. can be a little more or less depending on the narrator and the material. But that's that's a pretty good uh, ballpark to use if you're just, trying to and estimate. Just, and that's just recording time. That's not meaning the times that you, know, you had to go back and fix something or go back and redo it just because you didn't like the way it came out, correct? I mean, it's a, it's a very time-consuming process. Yeah, the 9,500 is finished finished hour of material. Gotcha. That's in its in its final state. Ninety five hundred words. Uh, there there are some really good narrators out there. Some of the best that make a couple of mistakes, but on in an hour, but just race through it. I'm not one of those. You know, I'm I um I make some of my fair share of mistakes just in saying the words, but also as I'm hearing myself um, deliver that character or that line, I think, nah, I want to do that a little differently. You can count on. Depending on again on lots of factors, an hour and a half to two hours in the booth for every hour of final product. And do you have the opportunity? You go back in, of course, and listen to every chapter as they as they're completed. Correct? Yeah, I edit the whole. I'm I'm one of those that does all the work start to finish myself. I don't except for the proofing. I never want to proof you yourself. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the setup. Um, your booth is at your house. Yeah. And what it's is a, it? What is it? It is a. Former, formerly it was a walk-in closet. It's about four foot by five foot with a normal seating, I guess seven foot seating. Uh, it has three inch uh, mineral wool, uh, micro wool, rock wool, safe and sound, if you know that name from Home Depot, insulation right. around it, which has the best absorbent uh, data or um, specs for low voices like mine. Um, and I have a 32 inch monitor in front of me. I have the microphone hanging. I have two mics, one shotgun mic, uh, Sennheiser 416 for any of your listeners to know stuff like this and an Austrian audio OC 18, which are both pretty high end mics. You'll find them in a lot of studios. 
Uh, and I just pick one or the other, depending on the project and how I feel that day. Well, of course, once you pick one for a book, you do the whole book in it. Otherwise, it'll sound slightly different. Gotcha. Unbelievable. So the book is then completed and then submitted to ACX. And that goes through the AC. Of course, I, I at the same time as you complete each chapter, you're sending them to me as the author to listen, make sure I have, you know, make sure it's, it's I have any issues or, or want to correct anything. And then when it's completed, it's submitted to ACX and it goes through their process to make sure that there's no issues with it. And then you get like I did last week. Well, this week, a glorious email from ACX saying your book is passed through our, our system and it is now available at Audible. <laughs> and, and the narrator has a big sigh of relief that day because <laughs> we know this is life. Anything can go wrong. I've had a couple of those where I had to redo stuff after it has been published, which is not a nice thing to have to do. Audio books, like I said earlier, have really exploded on the scene. Um, th I want to say they're up 25%. Um, you know, people are, are really looking and purchasing audiobooks. You know, I think because of Bluetooth in today's world, with people wear, you know, with AirPods and everything in their ears, it's easy if you're taking a train somewhere or in your car, playing, playing audiobooks to, you know, for a long road trip. Um, people really love listening to these stories. Oh, absolutely. Some people just do audiobooks only now. You say, don't, don't give me the ebook. I can't sit and read. I can't concentrate. I don't have time for that. I need to be doing something else while I'm absorbing a book. Uh, the big, the big push audiobooks have been around since uh, the eighties when they were on, on actual real tape reels. Right. Uh, and they were mostly used to promote the actual book. So sometimes you'll find old ones that are abridged, which makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> but the, but the real, and then they got digital with CDs, but the real burst, the real explosion happened with streaming. Yeah. Um, because yes. now you can just download it with a couple of clicks of your mouse on your computer or your phone and off your, and off you go. That I'm, was, I'm, that was 2000. I think, I think Audible came into existence around 2008, 2010, something like that. That yeah. was the big, big push. I, I'll say I'm an old fashioned love reading the book. Um, however, if I go back to my own little history, I remember in, <laughs> I think the, in Britain, they had released a Lord of the Rings. It was from a radio show way mm -hmm. back in the early 1980s. I want to say, and I, when I was a kid, they put this out on, on tape. And I remember I got the in, in, the entire cassette tape, and I listened to that thing all the time. And it was, you know, voice actors doing the, do, you know, telling the story. Um, yeah. And I know, like I said, that was kind of the, I guess that's the basis from where audiobooks came from, right? It was kind of a radio type of, I guess, you know, way to tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, it was also a way for, Back then, uh, you'd get major stars to do an abridged version of Moby Dick or whatever. Right. And that was a way for the publishers to get people interested in their book, their regular printed book of Moby Dick by having this little thing they paid some star to do. Wow. And then people said, hey, you know, I can use that if I can get it into my ear while I'm moving, while I'm gardening or cooking or whatever. So uh, let me ask you these two questions. Uh, the first question is going to be, of course, not including my books, <laughs> what is your favorite book that you've done yourself as a narrator? If you can name one. Um, 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 um. Well, um, 
I did a believe it or not, I did a recording of I gotta give you gotta give you more than one, but the a recording early on of Grimm's fairy tales. Right. And you might not know think of my voice for kids stuff, but it turns out it's kind of like, you know, Uncle Fred telling your kid's story around the fire. And <laughs> uh that Grimm's fairy tale book, I enjoyed doing it because you really go wild with the voices and the stories and all that. But it has also taken off. Now I do all this was volunteer. I got no money from it. It goes out into the ether and anybody can use it. A number of people, I don't know who they are, I have no connection with them, have put this up on YouTube on a channel for people to listen to or follow the book. And and I'm going to pat myself on the back here, but I went and did a little, uh, there are several of my books out there, a lot of LibriVox books, John, not just mine. I did a kind of a quick add up of all the hits that those books have received, the chief right. one being Grimm's. It's close to 10 million. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, I don't get any money out of that. Uh, people don't even know who I am half the time. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, so grim because it's taken off and also because it was tremendous fun to do. At the other end of the spectrum, one of my, I've done it twice now, I'm going to do it again, is uh, Socrates' apology at his trial by with Plato oh, in the dialogues. Really? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, in fact, my next little project of my own is going to be a, a four dialogue series. That'll be the second one of his, the trial and death of Socrates. Uh, exactly. and then the other one that I really enjoyed is a Christmas Carol, Scrooge. Yes. Which, which is a lot of fun. It's such um, a glorious, it's just a glorious story. Oh yeah, it is. So my second question would relate more to, and you may not have an answer, but let me just ask, what book would you love to do? Um, I, you know, if you, I would, if you can think of a series, I would like to do the major novels of Dostoevsky. Great. So, you know, Crime and Punishment, and I've done some of his stuff now. I know that's right. not a single book, and but um, I'm, I still am, as much as I do contemporary stuff and love doing books like yours, I'm still drawn to the, you know, the great ones. The Mothiers aren't great. You know what I mean? Right, but traditionally, the, the, the ones that have stood the whole test of time. Right. And uh, my voice lends itself to those in some respects. So uh, I kind of get into that. that. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question about your opera background. Um, did you, you said you studied opera, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Wichita State University here. At, at that point, I don't know. That's been... Decades, but they had a really strong music department there. Which I loved about all my stories. You know, they all take place in Italy, and um, the little the little nuances that you would add with the Italian language in some places, or just the Italian names and the way you would spin a phrase, really, really was was uh, blew me away from the very get go. You know. Well, thank you. I enjoyed that. Was a great treat for me. Uh, not only pronouncing the to the names, but also to a. To a point, the, the songs, the arias that we were referring to, uh, started to just stay in my head all day long. <laughs> and for a while, that was great. Then after a while, it became, okay, let's move on to the next one. I've I've, I've got Muscania down. Let's go on to the next one. Um, but uh, it put, it pulled me back into my old in my old uh, haunts. It was it has been wonderful. And of of all your characters, for me, the one that I, I would say you know I guess touched me the most, right? Um, 
and it's really Giuseppe Sanguinetti. He is the the linchpin within all three novels of the Bella Fortuna series. He's a young boy in the first one. He's a middle-aged man in, in the next two. And I just think you you really um captured his entire essence, you know, and um and you really helped tell the story of that entire series with your voice. Well, well he is my favorite character all the way through. I mean, a man of integrity, he's he's brave, he's compassionate, um, he's self-effacing, and yet he's leading these these people, some of which would be lost without him in this wonderfully beautiful town. I mean, how can you go wrong? And yeah, and, and a, I will say and I would say my other one of my other favorite characters, smaller role in 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 the midst of the entire series, but your voice for Pope Pius the Twelfth and saving the music, um, I thought was dignified. Um, it it had a lot of tension, and it really helped explain what his thought processes were through your voice, which is I think amazing to do so. You know. Well, that I appreciate that. Thank you very much. The the uh, the thing to say there is that without the character, without the dialogue that you created, you know, you're just sort of speaking into the wind. And uh, so when when there's a well written character or well written scene, it reads itself pretty much. Uh, and if you've gone around on a block a few times doing narrations, you, you know, the voice sort of comes to you. Huh? I thought this would be a great point to stop and just play for the audience. This is a sample of Bob's work. This is from my novel, Sicilian Melody. It takes place in chapter one. The two characters you're going to hear are Adriano Umbretto, the mafia boss, and his capabastone, Luca Speranza. Listen to how Bob develops this scene. Adriano quickly relaxed and lowered the knife when he realized it was Luca Speranza, his 42-year-old confidant and capo bastone, the underboss and second-in-command within the Umbretta Cosca. Luca stared at the scene before him and noticed his boss's bloodied pants. He lowered his lupara and hurriedly asked, Don Umbretto, are you hurt? No, Luca, the blood is his, not mine. Luca sighed in relief as he quickly made the sign of the cross. Is Francesca safe? Adriano asked. She is. Some of the men are with her. Adriano dropped the knife on the floor and then pointed to the dead man. How in God's name did this scumbag get into my villa? Luca gulped hard. He had worked for Don Ambretto for a long time. He loved him like a father, yet he feared him just the same. We are still trying to find out, Don Umbretto. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the voice of Bob Neufeld reading from my novel, Sicilian Melody. And all I can tell you is, is that the, the, the ability to create characters w with your voice is magic. And for an author, it truly is awe-inspiring. So, Bob, let me ask this question. So, if I know if if someone's trying to find your recordings, they can go, of course, to Amazon and just type in your name into a search, and all the all your work on any book related that's sold on Amazon or Audible we find that found there. If they're looking for some of your stuff on Livrox, correct, Livrox, Librivox, Librivox, L I B R I V O X. Where can they find those recordings? Uh, they can just. Um... Search Bob Newfound LibriVox. It should pop up. There is LibriVox.org is the official site, so they can go straight there and put my name in the put my name in the search. 
uh, search box and it'll all come up. And if you're an aspiring author out there, or you are an author who's looking to turn one of their novels into an audio book and they would like to use your services, how can they go about finding you and, and hiring you? Um, email is the easiest or phone. Email is Bob. I'm real creative. Bob at bobneufeld.com. My phone number is 917-957-8960. Um, I have a website, but it's down for some reconstruction right now, bobneufeld.com. So that will be out in the next two or three weeks. Uh, but those are the easiest ways to find me. Well, Bob, uh, also at Facebook at Bob Newfeld Voice. Bob Newfeld Voice. Got yes. it. Well, Bob, I thought, I, I hope my listeners will love this conversation as much as I did. I think it's fascinating um, to hear how, you know, the process and and just also just how how, how does one go about <laughs> putting putting a voice to a story? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here today and also to record your wonderful books. It's been a pleasure, and I uh, hope there'll be many, many more. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Thanks for coming. All right. Bye-bye. Ciao.